What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. Today, everyone, we have Case Kenny on the podcast. If you have not seen his very shareable content on Instagram, I share it. Many others share it. Um, he is here to talk to us today about mindfulness and being a good fucking human. You know, we love our episodes with good, well rounded men. So sit back, grab a cocktail, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. Have you gotten a chapter 6 yet? <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on our Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. All right, y'all. I am so excited for you guys to hear this episode. We are going to talk about mindfulness today. Really, his thoughts behind mindfulness, how he practices it, different things that you can do to expand on that and get that more prevalent in your life, whether you are male or female. It is such an important thing to have as a human. We're also going to talk about different types of journaling, how to get into the best kind of headspace for this type of work, analyzing things and experiences that have happened to us and recognize the difference between our immediate reactions and where we want to be, which is so incredibly important. Obviously, you guys know I am no stranger to journaling. I have the Fuck Off I'm Healing journal that I know many of you have and are working through. If you haven't, what the fuck are you doing with your life? Do not slide into my DMs asking for help and advice before you work through that goddamn journal. Um, and he discusses his journal and the response he's gotten, which is called Single is Your Superpower. So clearly, you know, we love that here on FML Talk. Um, we're also going to talk loneliness and the difference between being alone and being lonely, which I get DMs and questions about from you guys a lot um, and how to kind of combat that and sit in it and use it to your benefit. This is a really great episode for anyone that is just looking to be more present and mindful in their life and really go kind of deeper onto the next level. So let's bring on Case. Case Kenny, welcome to FML Talk. I'm so stoked to have you here. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. I love when we get to have men on this show that exude emotional intelligence, like have their shit together. No pressure. Now you're going to like have to show up and deliver. <laughs> uh, yes, I will. I will try. You you talk a lot about mindfulness, which I think is really important. And we haven't really dove into a lot of that on this show. So can you kind of, before we start, just give everybody a little bit of a background of who you are and how you came to uh, have this platform? For sure. Uh, well, thank you again for having me. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I, so I'm 34, almost 35. I would say like, in my 20s, I was always kind of cynical of the self-help space, uh, the wellness space. And honestly, I still am in, in certain respects. Um, and then, you know, uh, I worked in advertising in, in my 20s, um, you know, kind of traditional career pathing, uh, traditional being a regular guy pathing as well. And then when I was 28, um, I don't know, you can call it like a, a quarter life thing, a quarter life questioning, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I wouldn't call it a crisis necessarily, just a, a yearning <laughs> of, of, some, of some kind. Um, and 
and I, I was um, very invested in my job at the time. I was running a sales team in Chicago for a technology company. So I was traveling twice a week, very focused on hitting quota and being a successful guy and making this amount of money. Uh, I had also just gotten out of a relationship that was like a, you know, two, three year long relationship. And I was basically just like, you know, I was like, it would really suck to look back in 30 years and be like, I have been chasing the things that I didn't necessarily want. I had established goals for myself, standards for myself that weren't necessarily true to me. I was like, that would really suck if I looked back and realized that I was doing these things that weren't true to me. Mm. Being a type A person, I was fired up by that. And I was like, I need to figure out some answers. And so my solution was to start a podcast. Nowadays, that's kind of a classic move, I suppose. Right, and that's right. great. A lot of people have podcasts. I love it. I would never deter anyone from starting a podcast. But in 2018, a little bit new, and I saw it as a vulnerable thing. Like, totally. I could start a blog or do whatever. But I was like, I'm going to speak. I'm going to force myself to do these things. So I started the podcast as a means to basically challenge myself and ask myself questions. Why do I feel this way? Why do I have this goal? Why am I chasing this thing? So on and so forth. That was truly the motivation for it. And then basically what I realized through that process is I was practicing mindfulness. And then I realized mindfulness is a muscle. The, the more you practice it, the more introspective you get, the more consistently you show up with the questions you ask yourself, the better you get at finding answers. And the long story short is, you know, just dove into the podcast. It was popular from the beginning, which I think was very lucky in this, this whole thing. And then, um, you know, I just kept pulling on that, that cord of interest, which is mindfulness, the power of mindfulness. And now I've, you know, really found my, my purpose in bringing mindfulness to life in as many different ways as possible, whether it's, you know, spoken word on the podcast or written word in my journals or books. I do a lot with music and, and dance music with Fusion Taylor Music and Mindfulness. I have card games and Target and Walmart, gamifying mindfulness, doing all these things. So just very, very passionate about this thing that I used to look at and be like, well, that's, that's a long word, mindfulness. It's a lot of right. letters. Like, what does that even mean? And now, obviously, I've, I've stepped fully into the power of it, but specifically the power of it through the lens of me that is a regular guy. I stay away from words like expert, guru, things like that. It's not my vibe. It's yeah. not someone I really want to be. I just want to be a guy who helps other people through my ordinary perspective. And it's been very liberating to be able to just do that, just to be myself. Oh my God, I love that. I resonate with so much of your kind of path and journey because I'm 34 as well, getting kind nice. of getting close to 35. Um, and I was also very like anti self-help space and then released my first book. And lo and behold, you know, through talking about my own healing journey and my crazy shit show, it became like everybody's favorite self-help book. And I'm like, well, that wasn't what we were going for, but I'm glad that it's helping people and I'm glad we're here. And I, I think it's so interesting that you, you've really like created this path on the male side of things, because so often I get people that write into my show and they're like, how, how do we get, you know, our partners to become more mindful? How do we get our partners to start, you know, paying more attention to the important things in our relationship, in our life? So I, I'm glad that you're here so we can dig into some of that today. Can you start out for everybody just kind of like what's your definition of mindfulness in its simplest form yes uh i can i'll keep it short because i love talking about it i think you know to the point of like male female or just like gravitation for men to not be perhaps as open or sensitive or whatever word you want to use to describe kind of how i present myself i think it is because I used to think of mindfulness as this thing that was very esoteric, very energy driven, very spiritual. I would think of words like chakras and vibrations and frequencies. And I don't know if it's men or whatever. I just I have an aversion to that. I just don't get that much value from it. Mm -hmm. I know that there's people who are immensely uh, skilled at that type of presentation. And it's very true and and very valid for me. It's just it just never really clicked. I, I am more of a, I need to see it to believe it. I need to feel it to believe it kind of guy. 
And I think what really clicked for me is looking at mindfulness in the most practical way as possible. So when I define mindfulness, you know, mindfulness, I think by the very definition is the practice of being present, the practice of being aware. It's in the words to be mindful, to be self-aware. But for me, that's never been enough because it's not that action oriented for me. So when I think of mindfulness, I, I break it all the way down to the, the practice of asking myself why and responding to it as much as frequently as possible. But it's why within the context of my life experiences, like when I think about mindfulness, I think about making sense of my memories, making sense of my past observation. I, can, mm -hmm. I have lived through A, therefore I believe B. I have lived through C, therefore I believe D. Like very logical, like a lawyer presenting evidence. Like to me, that's how I look at mindfulness. It's, it's based on life experiences rather than maybe theory or inspiration or blind belief. And I, of course, have evolved, you know, some of that element. But for me, it's always been very practical. Here's the memories I have. Here's the experiences I've had. Let me challenge those. Let me challenge the beliefs I've held for a long time. Let me challenge the way I've maybe conditioned myself. Let me look at it through the lens of radical honesty of why. And let me come up with redeeming, compassionate conclusions. But it has to be through the, the view of the things that I've been through, the life experiences I've had. And to me, that, that just makes it very powerful because it's connected yeah. to to things, to experiences, the things that I've touched and felt and seen. And I think for me as a man that just maybe men in general are drawn to more, you know, tangible, tactile things like action man stuff, you know, and for me, it's just like I have these experiences. Let me make sense of them. Mm -hmm. And it feels good and it's powerful and it strengthens belief. And that's always the way that I've, I've broken things down. And, and, you know, for mindfulness, for me, it's, it's very action oriented. It's it's literally question and answer and then action. I was just in Chicago last week. I, I led a mindfulness workshop at Soho House. And it was literally just me for 60 minutes uh, asking people different questions. Cause right. that, literally that, that's, that's the way that I approach it. Um, so yeah, that's it. Very experience driven, very observation driven. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. Can you give me an example from something from your past that stands out to you that's, I don't know, maybe like an ex a past experience, a relationship, a trauma that you've experienced where you can look at it and give an example of like, this is what I went through. And because of that, I was thinking A, B or C, and then how you went about kind of like approaching that. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I think a lot of mindfulness is just breaking down preconceived assumptions. Like we're all very wired to have assumptions that we've been living by for a long time, goals, timelines, whatever it is. And then we're like, wait a minute, like, why have I been doing this? Why have I been chasing these things? I mean, I remember when I was, you know, 28, 29, 30, I was single for a, a while in there thinking about like, what does a single guy look like, for instance? Like, what does a single guy do? Like, how does he carry himself? And I would look around and be like, well, you know, I, I live in Chicago, I live downtown. Like a single guy is a guy who goes to the club, carries himself this way, has a roster this way, so on and so forth. And I think through mindfulness, for one, challenging of that, saying that, that just because I have like, there's this whole concept of mimetic desire, right? And like how we're socialized to want certain things and carry ourselves. And I was like, I, I don't need that. Like, I thought I needed that. I thought that that was true to me, but through, you know, various, you know, journaling sessions and, and, you know, challenging myself, I don't need those things. Like mm -hmm. that, that's just not for me. Um, so that's one, one way that, you know, for me always challenging, why do I have these notions of who I'm supposed to be and chasing these things? And then two, I think there's a lot of value in contrast. When I, do these journaling sessions, I basically encourage people to come up with contrast. That is the contrast of what they've been through that they don't want versus what they do deserve. And I could look at many examples in, in my my 20s, maybe relationship examples of where it's like, man, invested two years in that relationship and then it ended. And using that contrast basically of being with someone or an experience that you know was not what you wanted, but using that to get to what you want and showing yourself that there's there's two sides to the conclusions you can make. One that reinforces your worth the lack of worth or two that reinforces the standard. Um, and to me, like it's always been about like looking back at those memories and saying, here's an experience. I could either look at this experience of proof of a lack of worth, lack of confidence, lack of direction, or I could see it as proof of a standard and mm. lean into it. And that's, you know, two examples from my life. Yeah, I love that. I think something that I learned from my mom super young after I, I lost my dad, when I was going through kind of like my angsty teenage years, uh, we got in this really big fight. And I turned to her and was like, you know, I'm well, it's because dad died. And she looked at me and she's like, you're never going to use your father's death as an excuse again. And she really instilled in me that when experiences or traumas, any type of you know, bad shit happens in our life, you have that choice to either go the victim route and to be like, this is going to define me. This is going to be why I act this way, why I feel this way, why I think this way. Or you can go the other way and be like, okay, this is something that happened to me and an experience in my life. I'm going to use that as a springboard moving forward into really becoming the person that I was meant to be. So it kind of reminds me a lot of what you're talking about, like looking and analyzing things and experiences that have happened to us and being like, okay, what what's my knee jerk reaction of where I want to go with this and where my heart's trying to like lead me? And what's the place that I really want to be going? Yeah. And, it, and it's a tough question to ask and answer in the present, right? It's like, we're, we're very adept at connecting the dots, looking back in the present, right. following hindsight. some kind of, <laughs> yeah, hindsight is very 2020. In the present, you know, it's like, well, it's just another breakup, another hurt experience, another tragedy. It's tough to you know, do that. And, and I, of course, try to stay far away from toxic positivity and just be like, see the bright side. It's not yeah. not my vibe. But, you know, again, mindfulness, it's like I like to look as far back as possible and find proof of what I could believe looking forward. And you think about like negative experiences, like. I think very simply and logically, like the, the reason that we have standards or boundaries or goals in life is likely because we've been through the opposite of those things. Like we don't sure. wake up one day and have high standards. 
I mean, certainly we can like borrow them from people and blogs and podcasts and movies, but like they become real once we've experienced the opposite. Mm -hmm. And that's the tough reality of we don't want that to be true. It, it would be great if we can have these goals and aspirations and standards just because we believe them. But, you know, I, I talk a lot about the topics of like, you know, am I too picky or am I too this or am I too that? If you have an experience that reinforces that, that is you've been through the opposite, then I think it's so true and so valid. And I really encourage people to look at their life, their standards, their ambitions, their worldview through the through the lens of what they've been through, which is likely the opposite of that thing. And I think it's a very powerful grounding centering mentality to have say I've been through the opposite and I believe this as a result and that's mm -hmm. valid because I have that experience and um, I think that's way more powerful in this day and age where you're just beat over the head with you should do this and be that way and have this standard and want this in a partner we're all very different and yeah. I think our, our past differences is what makes us powerful absolutely it's like being a detective with your life you know, like going in and being like, okay, what have I experienced? What, what did that lead me to? What does that do for me? And and really being mindful of it and saying, is that healthy for me? Or is that something I want to go back and try and adjust or change moving forward? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I joke that it's like being a lawyer in a court, like here's evidence A, your honor, and here's the conclusion from it, or challenging it and saying like, we need to appeal this, this, right. <laughs> this decision. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So are there some tips that you can give people on how to really put this into practice in their everyday life? Like, what are your go to kind of like these are really good tips? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the ultimate tip for me, like I've my whole life is about journaling, like my mm -hmm. whole business around journaling, my whole mentality. My podcast is basically just 20 minute journal. Every time you listen, I think journaling is very, very powerful, particularly for men who maybe there's still a stigma or aversion to like going to therapy, which would be the next step that I would recommend, yeah. of course, is journaling is, is so simple. You don't need to sit in a waiting room. No one's there to watch you or look at you. I think journaling is like an entry point for people to realize what happens when you get really intentional. And mm -hmm. not just intentional because there's different kinds of journaling. I mean, there's like gratitude journaling, which I think can get old after a while. I'm talking about like hard hitting journaling with the right prompts, the right mix of prompted and unprompted. I think it can get you in a, a really intentional headspace where you're actually challenging things like i i just wrote a whole book on like why do we why do we want the things we want why do we believe the things we want and like went really in on mimetic desire and vulnerability and why why we're really averse to certain things and you know it's because we're human like we adopt all these assumptions and we live them and we're robots to them unless we break it down i think journaling mm -hmm. is as a format there's a lot of science around it too of mind body connection seeing and writing and feeling and doing it repetitively um that it could bring a lot of value but I think the right, like, we all agree that in a certain sense, one of the purposes of life is to go out and find answers. I think we'd all agree with that. But we forget that to find answers, you have to ask yourself questions, right. not just questions, but the right question. I think we just need to be open to asking ourselves a question that maybe makes us really uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And there's many ways to do that. Of course, I recommend journaling, or you can find the right therapist who can really help you with that. But I think men in particular, we kind of suck at putting ourselves in a space where we're one open to mm. being uncomfortable, but two also like there's a lot of ambiguity, at least in my life in 20s is like, I am anxious, I am this, I am that, but we can't pinpoint the reason why. Right. And I think a lot of people suffer from that. Um, mm -hmm. But we, we have to start poking and prodding in some way to get to the uh, point where we can actually address these things. 
So it starts there. And I, I think the simplest answer would be journaling. Yeah, absolutely. So I came, I came out with a journal. God, it was like probably a year ago now, but I'm interested to hear if you've gotten responses like this on the journals that you've put out. It's called Fuck Off, I'm Healing. And it's it's a basically like a step-by-step guide that helps people heal like any of the trauma and bullshit that life has thrown at you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and I've gotten messages from people that's like, fuck this journal. Like I have ripped my soul open and I'm like crying on the floor and I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> Cause that was obviously necessary because you weren't asking yourself those questions. So I'm, I'm interested have you gotten responses from people that have done work in your journal? And like, what have those responses been? <laughs> That's like the highest praise you could ever get for right, a journal. Right. So congratulations <laughs> for you. that. That's how you know you're, <laughs> you're doing some work on people. I mean, I have, frankly, it's a privilege. Like I released a journal called um, Singles Your Superpower. I released yeah. a journal called Closure and Clarity that are focused on journaling for dating. That's not all I do, but those have, you know, those are very emotionally driven journals. And totally. I got a message one time from a guy who was very upset with me. He was like, I've never heard of you. I don't know who you are, but my girlfriend said she did your journal and then she broke up with me. And he was like, <laughs> you know, F you, like the whole thing. Um, so kind of similar to you. Uh, right, a little right. bit of more of a threat than a yeah. compliment, but uh, <laughs> you I, know, I, I, I have seen that. And obviously, my goal is not to ever drive relationships apart. It's to help people come to their own understanding of what they need. And if it's not right. being delivered, then, then so be it. But yeah, I mean, yeah, journal, I mean, could totally shock your system with the right prompts. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. That's fucking awesome. Okay, so one of your journals is called Single is Your Superpower. And that's something you talk a lot about. I love just that saying in general. We've talked about it on this show, um, why you need to kind of like embrace being single and having that independence and that time when you're not in a committed relationship. So tell me about Single is Your Superpower. Yeah, so I wrote that book like two years ago. And Everything you just referenced is true. And anyone will tell you all the cliche advice is true, right? Being single is a gift. Being single is a time to find yourself, to love yourself, to understand what you need so that when you do have a partner, it's not two halves coming together. It's two holes coming together. Like all that. I love it. It's great. It's true. For me, the the catalyst for the book comes from kind of my practice of getting insight into just life. And, you know, one of the things that I always do is I love asking older generations questions because, you know, who, who am I? I don't have the full view of life at 34, 35. I, I have my view and I, I try to get more breadth of view. So I love asking older generations, 60, 70 plus. I always ask them, like, what do you regret? So the classic question and, mm -hmm. I, and I get those regrets. And I've heard so many answers. I've done this hundreds of times over the past six years. I've heard hundreds of answers, everything. Specifically, though, when it comes to dating relationships, relationship status, I've never heard any single person ever say they regret being single. I have never heard it. I've heard the literal opposite of that every so often. I regret getting into a relationship too soon, dating the wrong person, staying in the wrong relationship, defining my worth by my relationship status, so on and so forth. I've heard every every example of that, every specific example about divorce, marriage, kids, the whole thing. Never heard an example of someone saying, looking back, I regret being single. And that always struck me as kind of like a reverse logic of why single would be good. But mm -hmm. I mean, you got to take that for what it's worth. I mean, see, asking older generations, I think, is, is really powerful because you get that zoomed out perspective. Um, and that was basically the catalyst for writing the book and then compounded with with my life of being single from, you know, 28 to 32, 33, how impactful that time was in my life. Like, I feel like a totally different man, 2.0, 3.0 about how I was able to lean into myself in that time. And it's 
different for men and women. Of course, I, I understand there's different pressures and different realities, but um, basically the, the book was a call for people to one, try to challenge this spoken, unspoken stigma around being single mm -hmm. and the human conditioning where we start, if we are single and we don't want to be, we start to go to this, this zone where it's, oh, it means something's wrong with me. I'm unlovable. I'm not worthy. Maybe my standards are too high, this, that, and the other. And just trying to encourage people to break that down in different ways. is kind of a combination of uh, you know, written word and uh, journaling. But it really did start with that, that perspective here that if you believe in your worth and you believe in your what you offer a partner, being single is the time just to, to be selfish and take advantage of it because ultimately, you know, that that won't be forever. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it's an amazing opportunity to be free and do all that kind of stuff. But really from that innermost perspective of this stigma of lack of worth or unlovability because of a relationship status. Yeah. And I, that's so prevalent in our society. And I think there's a way to shift your, your perspective to a more healthy way of looking at it. Like when you're single, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are a failure and not with someone. It means you're not settling for someone that is, you know, either below your standards or not going to treat you as you deserve. Like there's a, a million different ways to shift that. Yeah. I, and I actually, I just, I filmed a video yesterday and published it that's related because you know, being single has this compounding effect, right? First, you're single, and then your friends aren't single. And then you start right. to get self conscious, and then you start to rush, and then you start to get lonely. And loneliness is an entirely different topic that compounded with a desire to not be single. It's this really vicious thing that I could think really make you think negatively. So I talk a lot about loneliness. I talk about the difference between being alone and lonely. And there's this quote from uh, her name's Martha Beck. She's a Harvard sociologist. And she has a quote that says, you know, feeling lonely is just a sign that your search for connection is intact. Mm. And that always spoke to me because I think we really underestimate how easy it is to settle in various ways in life. Um, and, I, and I try to be very empathetic and realistic. But I really do think you know, if we really wanted a partner, we can go out there and find someone and settle. We could lower the bar so far 100%. and find someone. <laughs> like we underestimate how easy that is. We also like, you know, it's easy to say, okay, I, I like fantasy football, brunch and yoga. I'll just be that person. I don't need, I don't need anything more. Like we can settle in, in very easy ways to essentially get rid of a feeling of loneliness. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people do that. And again, I, sometimes I feel like a delusional optimist with trying to just encourage people to find a contrasting mindset. But when I think of feeling lonely, for one, encourage people to realize that it is valid and it, it is might be a chapter of your life, but it certainly isn't your final chapter because feeling lonely is basically a reflection that you're being honest with yourself. They are actually searching for things that mean something to you rather than lowering the bar and accepting whoever asks you on a date or this, that, and the other friendship, interests, hobbies, jobs, whatever it is. And so I really do see it as a strength when we do have that feeling of loneliness because it would be very easy to avoid that feeling further by lowering the bar. And I think it's just, it's powerful perspective for people to hear sometimes within the context of being single as well, how easy it would be just to go out there and get back with your ex or get with someone who doesn't offer you nearly what you deserve. And I think those topics go hand in hand. And sometimes we just need a, a good dose of reality or perspective or just a different way of thinking. Yeah. Oh my God. I totally agree with that. And I love that looking at loneliness as a strength. That's a really powerful statement that I love. What's something or some things that you did in that time period that you were single that helped you become that better version of yourself? Uh, I would say quite a few things. I mean, beyond just being selfish with my time, doing what I want, um, you know, doing those kinds of things. I mean, I think for me, like my biggest like rebrand 
uh, internally, my inner life rebrand from case 2.0 to 3.0 was just a, a really big shift in priorities. That is from how my life looks on the outside to how it feels on the inside. Mm. And I think that's the biggest game changer. And I think that comes with age. People being like, why have I been chasing this thing? Why is my checklist filled with things that don't mean anything to me? Why am I trying to present myself in this way, even though it doesn't actually make me happy? So, I mean, the, the cheesy answer was loving myself, I suppose, right, or right. <laughs> com coming to the the <laughs> understanding of what would actually make me happy versus what I think would make me happy or what am I borrowing from other people. Um, comparison as well. I used to compare myself so much and be like, well, that dude looks happy or successful or he gets that or that. I need to be like him. Like, I, there's a statistic that says like 10% of our thoughts every single day are devoted to comparison. And we, I think we have like 9,000, 10,000 thoughts a day. So it's, it's a ton. Like we're always comparing ourselves. <laughs> and I think really helped myself by trying my best to stop doing that and just rebranding my, my actions from what would look good on paper, what would look mm -hmm. good to other people. Um, and not doing that, <laughs> instead, diving into what makes me feel good and complete, uh, and realizing a lot of things that I was doing or chasing or, you know, trying to be just like, yeah, those were very vapid, superficial things. And, um, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, a lot of my single time also coincides with leaving my job, diving into this, diving fully in, I am a guy who shares his feelings for a living. That's what I do for a living now. And it's this very weird meta thing, because it's, professional, but also very personal. Mm -hmm. Um, but also just slowing down, not rushing. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's been the biggest thing as well. Like no longer defining other, my timelines by other people's timelines as well. Yeah. I think it's such a simple rule to continuously bring yourself back to, to stop doing shit for other people and do shit that is going to make you the happiest and make you feel good on the inside, as opposed to what it looks from, from the outside, especially when people have, you know, a significant other in their life or they have kids that they're taking care of. It's like there's so much that we're focused on externally and making other people happy. And like, what does this look like to my coworkers, to my family? Like, are they proud of me as opposed to like what's fulfilling me and making me feel proud of myself? Yeah. In the moment, too, because one of the, the my little soundbite that I always say is, you know, because we're always like, we love to think like that. And sometimes we live that, but then we're like, well, I need this and this. And we just, we keep adding finish lines to our internal happiness and be like, oh, you know, once I'm that, then I'll be happy and grateful right. and this and that and the other. And it just becomes this thing where we're constantly chasing. And, you know, I, sometimes people think, you know, mindfulness is very spiritual and it's unforced. Sometimes I think we need to force mindfulness on ourselves. So the mantra that I always repeat is the absence of what I want does not negate the presence of what I have. And that's just the way I force gratitude on myself because mm -hmm. I am privileged to do what I do. I'm healthy. I have friends, um, a great partner. Like it's, it's all amazing for me, but we're so quick to forget what we have done the ways that we should be proud of ourselves, the things that we have built, the ways that we have grown because we have this finish line, this finish line, this, that, and the other that we're obsessed with. Yeah. And we've also attached that to other people's approval. And it just becomes this very devolving headspace of not being present, not being grateful. Um, that I And I, I think I've beat that mantra into my head so much so that when I'm sitting there, I live in Miami now, I see the ocean right there. It's so easy for me to be like, oh, I got to go sell more books or I got to do It's like, that's ridiculous. Like, right. I'm at the, like, let's the absence, you know, of what I want doesn't negate the presence of what I have, of what I have built for myself. And, yeah, you know, I, I think I think mindfulness is also synonymous with being proud of yourself, giving yourself credit for how you have grown. Mm. Like, we're, we're, we're always have room for growth. And if we're always obsessing over that. Um, I, I don't think we're really living our purpose, which is to be content and present in some sense, also yeah. balanced with urgency, but 
patience. Yeah, well. totally. I'm I'm guilty of that. I'm I'm sometimes so ambitious that it's like, okay, but what's next? What's next? What's next? And it's like the ambition's great, but it has to be partnered with the gratitude and the the be. the love and the thankfulness of everything that's been created thus far. So yeah. you're in a relationship now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how do you think this relationship is different now that you've kind of had that time to be single? gone through all the mindfulness stuff and you're really like consistent in like making that at the forefront of your mind. How has this relationship shown up differently than ones have in the past? Oh, I'd say, I mean, a lot of different ways. I mean, I would say, you know, more so than previous relationships, there really is a balance of understanding of each other. And I I realized how important that is now, I think in past relationships, I was like, ah, it's okay. You know, opposites attract, like understanding is one of those things that doesn't come easy, but it's, it's the, it's the combination of, of attributes and mindsets that make a couple strong. And I just realized how, like how essential understanding is and not just like, uh, I think there's different layers of understanding of understanding, you know, why someone is the way they am, they are, but also understanding that someone is the way that they are in the present. And I think in, in previous relationships, I felt somewhat of a negative urge where if, you know, my partner, she, you know, was a certain way or was acting a certain way. I needed to know why, like, I need to know Mm. why, otherwise I can't under, I can't see your point of view. And I think I've evolved. Um, and I've found the right person where the, the, it's it's just so healthy that if, you know, she has a a need or a communication, I understand that it's valid in and of itself. I don't need to understand why immediately. And I think that type of understanding I lacked where I lacked I don't, I don't know, the maturity, the, the, the incentive to, to have that. And I always felt, I was like, well, I need to, I didn't need to know why I need to know exactly why for it to be valid to me. Um, and I think I've outgrown that a lot. This makes me sound like I've been the problem in all my past relationships, but <laughs> who knows, maybe. Um, but I think currently, I think that that's there. And then, I don't know, I think for this, just much, you know, aligned values, timing, no rushing, just, you know, right, right headspace in life. But, um, I also think a lot of like, uh, you know, I didn't, I released an episode yesterday on the topic of appreciation and how mm. uh, important that is to just be thankful for each other. Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be big overt, you know, signs of affection. And I think just we have that appreciation for each other, appreciation for each other's presence and consistency and words like thank you and please, you know, yeah. little things like that. I, I think we, sometimes we overcomplicate things, but I'd say uh, at a glance, those have been like big, like game changer uh, priority shifts uh, mm-hmm. for myself. Yeah, I resonate with a lot of that with my with my husband now. I get a lot of people that DM me and write into the show saying, I can't get my husband to go to therapy. I can't get him to like open up and talk to me. And I'm I'm probably too far on one side where I'm like, <laughs> if someone won't go to therapy and won't talk to you, like it's a good time to leave the relationship. Like just go. Um, obviously that's not like in everybody's options. Yeah, of course. Um, And I understand that. But and you might not have an answer to this question, because I don't necessarily either. If someone's in a relationship, and they're like, wanting to come together and talk and like grow emotionally in that relationship, and one of the two people are very like anti therapy, kind of like closed off, not wanting to tap into that like vulnerable space. How do you think someone should handle that? Yeah, oh, such a tough question. I mean, I would say my my immediate knee jerk reaction is someone has to want to change. You can't force change on yes. someone. So yeah. what are you supposed to do? Right. But then the the delusional optimist kicks in, and <laughs> I, I I mean, I would say a couple of different things. I would say I'll, I'll try to get specific in a second. But I would say like sometimes we have an aversion to 
like actually having a conversation around that and like really trying to encourage someone to do it. Like we'll like put our you know foot in the water and then they averse and then we back up mm-hmm. because I think sometimes we think and um, you know, a lot of my listenership are, are women. So I have a lot of female perspective uh, that, I, that I hear a lot. And I think a lot of times we think that like having open and honest conversations around things like therapy or like what we need or what we need to hear. We think it's unromantic. We think it's not sexy mm. to be like, hey, just like it really makes me feel appreciated when you say this or do this or here's how I want to be loved or, or touched or like anything. We think it's like unsexy because we think that it's romantic when someone knows exactly what we need. Our soulmates should know exactly how we want to be loved, which I think is honestly a little bit ridiculous. That's um, delusional no one, for okay, sure. Same page. Great. <laughs> no one's going to know that. But sometimes yeah. for some reason, we, we have this disconnect where we we think that they should and we should and that having a conversation that is as practical as I like to hear this or this or that we think it's like saying that means the relationship isn't right. And I think we need to remove that from our psyche. Yes. And I think maybe that'll open up a conversation a little bit better uh, about uh, uh, therapy or self-therapy or couples therapy or doing journaling or uh, what's it called? Parallel play. You journal over there. I'll journal over here. Like maybe we could baby step our way there. Right. But I think removing that, maybe that internal barrier friction that we get in our own head about, oh, I can't push it anymore because if I push it one more time, that's not romantic right. um, or whatever word you want to dress it up with. But that would be my knee jerk reaction to your Yeah, question. which to me is so crazy. I tell people all the time, like if you're in a fight and you're like, well, I need him to do this, this and this. It's like, well, have you said that? Yeah. Have you been like, hey, the things that would make me feel really great and would help me through this specific time are A, B and C. And then let the person deliver. If they don't, yeah. then there's a whole nother, you know, category that you're walking yeah. into. But like, give them that option. Sometimes people need to like be told they can't fucking read your minds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, exactly. And it, it's tough too. I, I always try to think about like, why don't we do that? Because having a conversation right now and people listening, they're gonna be like, yeah, that sounds great. Sounds logical. But then something about life makes us very averse to it. Maybe so, maybe because we tried it in the past and it was thrown in our face or we were outright rejected. We have some past experience. We want to be hurt again. Mm -hmm. Like, I understand that it's easy in theory. But to me, it's like I always come back to the saying, like, when you speak what you need, what you want, you get one of two things. You either get what you need and what you want. You get the answer you want or you get the answer you need which mm-hmm. is likely them saying no or them saying, okay, but then not doing it. So either way, it's like speaking up, speaking your needs, speaking your intention. I talk to a lot of people who are early on in dating and they're like, I don't know if my, what my partner wants for me. I was like, have you asked? And they're right. like, well, no, I, I don't want to. And I understand that rejection can be debilitating, especially if you've been rejected in the past or you have mm-hmm. an anxious attachment style. Like I totally get it. But still, you either get the answer you want or the answer you need and both benefit you. Uh, so I don't know, again, talk about mindfulness being like, sometimes it's gotta be active and like, not aggressive, but lean forward. And I think having that mentality of get what you want or get what you need, have the conversation. I think it could only benefit you and your partner, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Case, this has been so wonderful. Thank you for coming on and sharing all of your tips and tricks that you have. Um, can you drop the names of the books, the journal? I mean, like there's a myriad of things. So like, give (laughs) us your top ones and where everybody can find you, please. 
Of course. Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. And I loved our conversation. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of feelings. So I tend to write them down a lot. I would say the easiest is just my podcast, New Mindset Who Dis, Case.Kenny on Instagram. I just released a book called That's Bold of You that I'm, I'm really proud of. It's a bright, big, bold, yellow and pink cover uh, written by myself. Love that. Uh, we love pink <laughs> on the cover. <laughs> I do too. I, I, I thought about making the whole book pink and really, really settling into that color, but uh, settled on the, on the yellow and pink. But love it. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. We uh, we appreciate it. And I know a lot of my listeners today are going to get a lot out of this conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much. I want to thank Case so much for coming on and being yet another man that we have brought on to FML Talk to prove that there are good, awesome fucking men in this world that have done the work. We love to see it. Make sure you go check out all of his stuff. And if anything from this episode really resonated with you, make sure you dive deeper into that specific area in your own life and what we can be doing to really bring ourselves to the forefront and do the work on ourselves because we are ever growing, ever evolving, and ever fucking changing. I love you guys so much. I will see you all next week. All right, FMLers, if you don't want to miss an episode, make sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. And if you're loving the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can keep up with me on Instagram at Gabrielle Stone or the podcast page at FML Talk Podcast. For all the merch and books signed personally by me, you can shop the FML line on eatprayfml.com. And as always, have a fucking self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.